Hi, everyone. My guest today is Lisa A. Romano. She has a podcast called Breakdown to Breakthrough. And guess what? She just added her already existing podcast to Mental Health News Radio Network. I am so excited. I'm sure many of you have already listened to her stuff. She's got a really popular YouTube channel. And just so you have a little background on her, she's a life coach, a best-selling author, a meditation teacher on Insight Timer, and as I said, really popular YouTube creator. So get to know her if you don't already on my show today and then tune into her podcast on our network. Thanks so much. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. All right, everyone, you've just heard who I am interviewing on the show or having a conversation with. Let's face it, I haven't done an interview in a long time, (laughs) but uh, I'm excited to have our next guest on. Lisa, thank you so much for not only coming on the network, but also coming on to do a conversation with me on my show. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy and very grateful. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I love this podcast. I love what you and I talked about off the air, which was um, you focusing on the codependency piece, but our listeners have to know always, always what in the world got you to want to work on something as mm, fraught with triggers, pitfalls, joy, all the things that comes up with um, working with people who've been through a relationship with a narcissist. What happened to me was, you know, my life was falling apart. I had three small children and I was developing all sorts of chronic illnesses like migraines and asthma and rashes from like my neck down. Mm. And I was having biopsies done and I was caught in the medical loop looking for answers to these chronic issues that were just getting worse. And I had one doctor, well, actually a few, but one doctor sticks out in my mind where he says, there's nothing wrong with you. You better listen to your body because your body is listening to you. And I grew up in a home. My parents are both adult children of alcoholics, unrecovered. So we didn't do emotions. We didn't, we didn't think about our feelings. We didn't observe our own behavior. We weren't self-reflective. We were reactive right, and controlling. And we were plagued with denial. And what happened in the emotional sphere as it relates to children was completely denied. It just didn't exist. 
So to have an adult authority figure like a doctor say to me, you should listen to yourself was a huge breakthrough and aha moment. It was like I was waiting for permission hmm. to say, I need to figure out what's going on with me. And sadly, that was truly my subconscious programming. I was seeking validation to be myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was seeking validation. And so this, is, this set me out on a journey. And I went into therapy. And the first session, the therapist said, you know, uh, is there any alcoholism in your family? And I said, no, I don't drink. And my husband of the time didn't drink. And he said, that's not what I asked you. And I felt myself being like sucked into a hole. Like what? You know, <laughs> what? You know, I was so used to just answering rapid fire. Somebody would ask me a question. I just answer it without thinking, right? Without really pondering, without observing. And I said, well, um, yes, there is alcoholism in my family. Both sets of grandparents are alcoholics. Um, and as are both my mother's brothers, they're, Oh, so you're surrounded by alcoholism. I was like, well, I guess I was, you know, I just never related any of the issues that I was currently having with my husband to that, to my childhood. And he said, well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're not crazy. You're just codependent. And the bad news is that it's, it's going, it's, you are depressed and it's going to take you a long time to like heal from this. So that set me out on a journey to figure out like what was wrong with me. And that's why my slogan is, it's not you, it's your programming. I needed to fix what was wrong with me, but I had to identify it first so that I could break free of the patterns because I could see them in my family and my parents and my uncles and my grandparents. And I knew that lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I was born to this <laughs> generational karma Everybody was unconscious, uh, acting out their childhood programming. Nobody was aware. And I was going to do to my children what had been done to me. And that frightened me. About what was your age when you started to, you know, have this awareness? Well, I was, I was aware that I was unhappy. I just wasn't aware that I had a right to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, but I started to have like bro breakthroughs around 32, 33, where I was like, wow. This is, this is generational and I'm unconscious. Okay. And it was about, you know, a little bit after that, I would say between 33 and 36, it was a very crazy time for me um, where I was having like this identity crisis. Like, who am I? Right. You know, where have I been? If there's, if human beings are more unconscious and thinking isn't feeling and feeling isn't thinking, who, who's been running this ship? <laughs> who's, who's been making these decisions? You know, um, it terrified me. Um, and then, so as I approached, you know, I approached my healing from a completely different perspective in that I knew that there was something wrong and I knew that I was co-creating an experience with my ex-husband. And I went to him and I said, I know what's wrong with us. We're codependent, you know? <laughs> I just have to stop taking care of you and I just have to stop feeling responsible for you. And I have to stop trying to control your behavior and you need to take care of yourself more. And he was like, no, I am not changing and you better not change. I like the way things are. Right. And we tried therapy for a while and um, it just, I knew too much at that time that nothing was going to change. 
And if I didn't break free and break through and break free, I was teaching my children's children to stay in a dysfunctional relationship. And I just could not live with myself. There, there was not enough alcohol that I could drink or sex <laughs> I could have that, right. could, that could numb me from that reality. If I don't do something. I am programming my children for my fate. And I was so miserable that I had to just take a leap of faith and go. And once I figured out the unconscious piece, that wow, people are unconscious, they don't know it. And once I figured out this idea that we are all programmed and codependency is basically a hologram, it's a holographic way of living, unconscious patterns that were created in childhood, all I want to do is wake people up and, and let them know, like, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be codependent, seeking approval and validation and attracting people who are on the narcissistic spectrum that need people like you to take care of them. Right. That's all right. I want to do is help people awaken. So when did you start? Were you already doing life coaching at that point or did this come up, you know, out of you figuring this out in your 30s? So what ended up happening was I always wanted to write a book and I felt pregnant with a book since I was seven. But, you know, I lived in a family where, you know, I was pretty much, I was scapegoated a lot, you know, oh, you think you know everything or who do you think you are? So I had all this shame. I had, I felt the need to share something, but I never knew what it was. And through what I learned through my marriage and then my divorce. And then what happened was I got a phone call one day from my brother and said that my sister's husband had killed himself and he was also the adult child of alcoholics and my sister and her husband were in a very dysfunctional enmeshed codependent relationship mm. and she wanted to leave him and he couldn't handle it he didn't have the life skills the cognitive awareness he just didn't have the life skills to be able to live his life separate from my sister there was so much enmeshment there and in that moment i knew publish your book so I wrote The Road Back to Me. I struggled with, you know, is it going to be received well? What are people going to think? All that right. new author stuff, like stuff from the past. And the moment I got the news, I knew I had to publish the book. And within six months, it was published. And Good from there, you. yep. And from there, you know, which often happens with authors. Once I produced the first book, within another six or seven or whatever, less than a year, I'd produced the second book. So now I'm up to six books. Um, and I'm in the process of finishing up my seventh book, which hopefully will be published early next year. And from there, what happened was people started to contact me because they were relating to the message. And then I just decided, I was, realized I was life coaching and then just <laughs> decided to get certified, began one-to-ones. And then I'm not bragging. I'm just explaining what happened. Yeah. I, I started doing YouTube videos just to share information and people wanted me to coach with them. And there were days I never got out of my pajamas. <laughs> and my husband's like, you got to do something. Like you can't coach all these people one-to-one. -one. But I wanted to so desperately because I could see that I was making headway. I was helping people see themselves. Right. In patterns. Um, and then the opportunity came along, which a lot of coaches do now is they create online coaching programs. And I didn't think, I wasn't sure that was going to work. But I've been doing it since 2016, and the coaching program is highly successful. I've created a masterclass, which is about the law of attraction and really honing your vibrations after the 12 week is done. Um, and now I have a warrior, a breakthrough warrior membership site, which is ongoing classes and ongoing support. So 
that's really my story. Fantastic. How have your kids you know, responded to what you've learned and the ways that you changed right before their eyes? Well, it was really interesting because, and that's one of the reasons I love doing what I'm doing because our, all of our lives are so similar. We all have, our brains all work the same way for the most part. Um, you know, we all have the same type of stressors. We, we, when we're abandoned, our brain works a certain way. When we're traumatized, our brain works a certain way. When we come from a dysfunctional family, we get married and then we're facing a divorce and we have children, our brains work the same way. And, and pretty much we go through the similar things, especially if you're married to someone with high narcissistic traits, like I was, who used the children as a pawn against me. Thank heaven for all of the lessons that I was learning about codependency because I really had to hold on to myself, especially while my children were teenagers because he was throwing everything at me. He was buying them motorcycles. He was buying them cameras and electric scooters. And I was a single mom with three jobs trying. I walked away with no alimony, no health insurance just to get away from him. Right. And so there was that, that time in my life where I really had to rely on, you know, let them go and, you know, focus on loving them. And, and they're young now, except where they are, they're, Teenagers are, you know, they want stuff, you know, right. <laughs> they do. They want stuff. They're self, you know, they're self-absorbed, self-centered. They don't have, their brains aren't even wired yet for, for, you know, um, logic and reason. And so that was really hard to like not get into the wrestling ring with their father and just let him play out the game. Um, I lost both the kids for a little bit where my son actually moved in with him. Very difficult. Eventually, my son moved back in with me because once my ex-husband realized that I wasn't falling apart when he was using the children as pawn, as pawns, him he sent my son back home. Um, eventually, my ex-husband remarried, never told the children, and um, has completely discarded them over the past three years. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know what though? It, it's once you see the pattern, it's so predictable. Yeah, it you is. Know? It's so predictable. And so anybody who's married to someone, you know, when I coach moms or dads who are married, married to people with high narcissistic traits and they have children, I tell them, hold on to your seat. This is going to be a very bumpy ride. And there are just some things that you don't, you can't control, nor do you have a right to control. I remember my therapist at the time said, um, you have to get out of the way of your children's relationship with their father. And I was like, what? what he's going to hurt them, you know? And he was like, no, 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 no. Their experience of their father has nothing to do with you. That destroyed my codependency was going crazy. Like what? (laughs) I want to control this and punish him for hurting them. It was just an enmeshed nightmare, enmeshed nightmare. But I knew he was right. I knew enough about codependency to like set boundaries, to focus on myself, to like really, pray that everything was going to work out. And it really has. My son is now in therapy with my old therapist, which I'm so happy about because he didn't, he was, he, he was the oldest and he didn't escape. You know, um, he was about 12 before I started waking up and so many of his patterns had already been, you know, secured. And so I have to face, I know that he is the way he is and he struggles in relationships because of me and his father. Um, right. That's a hard part when you, we, my ex-husband and I are, are very good friends and our son, there are things that he does that are 
born of where we were at when we were together because he's 30 now mm-hmm. and um we we have to sit back and just go okay yeah that's he's gonna he's gonna have to figure that out right <laughs> he's an adult yeah. now yeah my son is 32 it's i'm um, 30 also and um it's uh interesting to I, I think that you know the bible says every knee shall bow right you know and humility and i think that part of the spiritual evolution of every human being is humility and is being humble. And I'm humbled every time I hear him say something that I know was created and born out of my relationship with his dad. Right. Um, and, you know, I see it and I do what I can to help him work through it because he and I are very close and we're very aware of what's happening in his life, which is awesome. But, you know, there is some humility and some egg on your face. You know, you, you can't, <laughs> You can't wake up and become and evolve your soul without being able to see how you as a parent in an unconscious state have affected the way your children perceives the world and perceives themselves. Absolutely. And, and you also, I I remind myself of this. Okay. Don't start going down a rabbit hole of worry Mm -hmm. about him because you know, I, when I was his age, I thought a lot of those things too. And that is not how I think now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I don't, there was a time, you know, the second module, I have my 12 week classes, we do it in three modules. So the first module is awakening. The second module is accountability because there is no recovery without accountability. And then the third module is ascension, life skills and practical skills. How do we, how do we go from where we were to where we want to be? consciously and the second part of the the program is difficult for a lot of people because they're like what have i done (laughs) and um it's a very delicate place and my moderators and i are very aware of it and we really help support people to understand there's a difference between healthy guilt and debilitating shame right where we recognize that it wasn't me it was my programming it was my unconsciousness it was my unawareness me as a conscious mother or father would never have said or done those things. Right. And, but, you know, so this, and this, and this also speaks to pain versus pleasure, you know, meaning that once a parent has identified, wow, when I said that I was unconscious and I hurt my child, right. That guilt will prevent you from doing that in the future. Gotcha. Hmm. So that's why healthy guilt is important. And without guilt, do people or pain, do people really change? Right. And that's part of what's wrong with people that just don't have that. I mean, the one that really brought me to my knees or or came, you know, helped me starvingly look for something and then run across an article about narcissistic personality disorder and go, oh, this is it. You know, that one used to brag and say, Oh, guilt is ridiculous. I never feel guilty for anything. Well, that was very telling. I didn't know that, but at the but uh, you know that is very telling. <laughs> yeah, that was my dad. That, that that's my dad. You know, my father has absolutely no remorse over anything, and he justifies. And that's because he's he's truly shame based. His father was a violent alcoholic, and his mother committed suicide when he was three. Lots of violence, a lot of dysfunction in his house growing up, and you know, to, he can't handle any type of self-reflection and guilt. And somewhere along the line, my dad, you know, I believe part of his, his background, because I've heard him say things similar is it's a tough world out there, you know, and you have to eat or be eaten. Mm. 
and I have no remorse about saying this or doing that. I'm like, wow. He had no remorse about the way he spoke to my mom, which was terrible. No remorse about how he physically and psychologically abused my brother. No remorse. He'll tell you today he didn't do it. It never happened. Right. Yep. I think too that that blindness, sometimes it's a willful blindness. Sometimes it's they aren't blind. They just don't care. So yeah. there's that. And then there's also a still living in that unconscious, unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think that's the tough thing, right? Because, you know, you can love someone with high narcissistic traits and even see facets of goodness in them. And maybe even wonder, you know, where is the, where is this person beyond the shame and beyond the need to hurt people and exploit people and, and their lack of empathy? Where is that? But here's the thing, what people have to understand is that people with high narcissistic traits and who are NPD, they, they are not self-reflective, which means they can't change their behavior. So it, you can't love a narcissist enough or be compassionate enough for a narcissist because right. they're unable to look within and change. They think they're right. They believe they are a victim because they, it's narcissistic projection. Mm -hmm. They're never going to win. They're cheating on you. you. They're untrustworthy, but they believe you're untrustworthy. They're manipulative. They're controlling. They can't hear you because they understand they're trying to manipulate and control you. That's their perception. And I've seen it with, you know, even choices that they make regarding, uh, you know, substance abuse or any kind of behavior that, that, you know, they've, latched onto. So if they're a raging alcoholic, then they're going to find ways to completely justify or be uh, willfully blind about that behavior. It, it doesn't matter. You can just, it's like, a, you know, uh, one of my friends said it's whack-a-mole, you know, you hit one thing over here and it's going to pop up somewhere else because that's, that's part of that blindness. They're not just blind in one area. They're blind in all areas. You know, I, I think it's three processes. I think it's pain versus pleasure, cognitive dissonance, and then backwards rationalization. So, so you confront an alcoholic about their drinking, they're, they're, every cell in their body screaming, we don't want to stop drinking, keep drinking, right? So this cognitive dissonance over, you know, am I drinking too much or should I listen to my wife or my husband? So this dissonance, right? And then this rationalization for to alleviate this tension there's nothing wrong. I don't drink that much. I only drink on the weekends or, you know, <laughs> right. um, or who cares if my daughter has told me to stop drinking right. or I laugh about telling people how I like to get high and drink and then drive around. And you know, how many ads do we have about out there talking back since when I was a kid about mothers against drunk drivers, somehow that rationally rationalization is still playing a loop in their head. It doesn't matter what banner is going off with lights flashing going this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong right it won't it and until the person this is why you know i i, I also caution people let let the fallout happen because again that's all about the pain versus pleasure where you know my uncle for instance was a raging alcoholic my mother's twin brother and um he was abusing her kindness and her empathy for him for years married six or seven times abused all the women he ever dated and finally, it has the, the help that my mother, so-called help that she was giving my uncle, started to affect her marriage with my dad. Because he's like, you can't give him any more money. All he does is drink and gamble. And one day it was raining. It was cold. It was in November. And um, at least on the East Coast, it was cold. And um, 
he called and he wanted money. And my mom said, I can't give you any more money. And he cursed her up and down, called her all sorts of vile names. And that day he slept in the little park by our house. And I was, you know, my brother and my sister and I mm. were, were, the ki- were the kids whose uncle was living under the park bench. Right. And however, that was the moment, those times when he knew, and he, and he did it, right? He, he slept under the park branch bench like five blocks from the house because he knew my mother had to walk that way to go grocery shopping. So he was hoping that she'd see him and she'd rescue him and she didn't. And he, years that later, took some strength. <laughs> well, you know, my mother didn't want to lose my dad, highly codependent on my dad. So I think right. that that relationship trumped her relationship with her brother and she could understand gotcha. the disease process. And uh, years later in AA, he said that was the turning point for him. It was that pain, the cold nights in the park, the humiliation, and again, pain versus pleasure. So the pain came in and it was enough for him to stop drinking. He was, I believe he stayed a, a sober uh, alcoholic the rest of his life, a dry alcoholic the rest of his life. I don't right. believe many of his personality traits were were dealt with, but at least he wasn't drunk anymore. Right, right. Interesting. Do your kids talk to you about things like narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, they do. They're very aware of it. And um, we talk about it often, which I'm grateful. And we have just, I, I think that, I don't know why, honestly, I don't know. We teach our children about how to cross the street and how to brush their teeth. We teach them mathematics, but we don't teach them a lot about, you know, being self-aware. I've done a couple of classes at a college in Boston over the past couple of years. And it's always interesting to like have a discussion with college students about self-awareness, you know, and it's just so interesting how little aware they are of themselves or the behaviors or why they are the way they are. And so I really, I'm hoping, I can see the benefit in teaching my own children about personalities and self-accountability. Well, just be aware about this. And, oh, that sounds a little self-absorbed. And, well, did your friend consider how you felt in this situation? Or were they just completely concerned about their experience? Because relationships are best when there's empathy on both sides. Right. You know, um, and so it's really, really been beneficial to have them be aware of these types of issues in relationships. And I was in relationships are awesome. Like we we're built and designed to relate and we function better inside relationships. And so I really, I think that we should, we as, as a humanity should be teaching our children about relationships and about relating and having them because, you know, who knows if you, you, you have a child who's exhibiting, well, I think there's always a reason, in most cases, except if it's a biological factor, but children who are exhibiting narcissistic behavior mm. early, help them understand empathy. Um, who knows what we might be able to avoid, but it goes back to what's going on in the home. Right. Right. Mm. And a lot of it is the parents really don't realize how powerful their healing is, not just for themselves, but also for their kids, even their adult kids. Absolutely. And their grandkids. I mean, you know, I, I've seen just different stages that I go through and all of a sudden that starts playing itself out, you know, with my son. So, and, you know, we may not even really be talking about it. So it's a reason why we um, should just keep, 
keep on working in yourself. How do you deal with, because, you know, we know narcissists obviously exist. Um, people that are unconscious exist mm -hmm. and they're going to show up in anyone's life at one point or another, including mm -hmm. yours. So how do you do what you do for work and working with people while also dealing with their own stuff and boundaries with people and realizing, ah, this person that just came in, maybe someone I don't really want to be around. How do you balance those two worlds? Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, it's interesting. And I, I think it's so important that if you're, if you want to help others heal, that you work on your own healing, obviously. And you just, in, in terms, I, I have had some run-ins with people who have ended up trying to smear my name, which was really difficult. People that haven't we all? Yeah. And it's, you know, and I, I think that, you know, to me, I don't, when someone, when someone is hell bent on persecution, to me, that's a big red flag. And um, so dealing with that, you know, is very, has been very difficult, but I'm grateful for the experience because, you know, going through a, a, a situation where, and you can see it in, you know, you have to be careful, I think just in general of people who want to put you on a pedestal, you know, uh, don't ever let anybody put you on a pedestal. You know, we are, we, we are equal to one another. We're not above or below. And I I've always found that people that want to put me on a pedestal, it doesn't end well. Even when I'm saying, no, don't, please don't compare me to Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. Like, Please don't. I am not Jesus Christ. I'm not the Madonna. I'm just somebody who figured something out and I want to help you see it to change your life, you know, because, yeah. because what happens is I think is, you know, unconsciously there are certain people, you know, in, in the life you can see it in offices, right? You have the one coworker that is cozy enough to the manager, right? And if the yep. manager is not careful, if the manager is not careful and not aware She's being groomed or he's being groomed. Yeah. And the minute this manager, and it's all about the person doing the grooming, right? So I'm going to, you know, acquiesce to the manager and bring her coffee and praise her and fix her flat, you know, so that I can be seen as special. Not about the manager. It's about the person doing the grooming. Absolutely. I want, I want everybody else in the office to see me as special. I've got this, you know. And so when you see this happen, I've had this, you know, the CEOs that I coach and business professionals, like, how did I get in this mess? My office hates me. I'm like, okay, let's go back to the beginning. You know, who groomed you? <laughs> who groomed you? Identify the groomer, you know? <laughs> right. Or groomers. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes it can be teams. So yeah. Let's work backwards. Tell me about this dynamic. And that's so interesting. And the minute you, you know, don't do what this person expects you to do, that's it. All hell broke. Oh, absolutely. That's why it's important to have your, you know, your, your group. I've, I talked about this with you offline. You know, we have a lovely group of us that will sort of send out a, an Amber alert about, well, be careful about this. Not a group of flying monkeys listeners. It's very different. This is just, Hey, this is my perception of something. I could be wrong, but, um, heads up. Yes. And that has saved our skins so many times. Yeah. And you know, it is like if you step back, right. And you, and you, you look at a situation and you have identified perhaps a groomer, you'll notice that other people have similar stories and you're not crazy. Right. And you know, um, it, it's just so interesting, however, that 
you know, the, the, the person who ends up persecuting you or smearing your name, they don't see it. And again, their mind goes, I, 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 backwards rationalization, the mind rationalizes behavior. Right. Right. So if I'm abusing someone, my mind is going to come up with 10 different excuses to do so. Right. Um, and so this is why it's just when I see that behavior in when I, when I first started happening, I thought, you know, oh, this is terrible. I have to get out there and secure my reputation. And I finally just decided to let that go. I was like, no, this is like Hansel and Gretel. They are dropping these little breadcrumbs and they want me to follow it. Right. So then I am engaged with them in some level, in some way, and they are like an energy vampire. They feel um, good about being able to draw me into an experience that I really don't want to be part of. Absolutely. It's all, they can feel it kind of, sometimes it feels almost, uh, you know, psychic, a connection where they can feel it through the ethers that they are having this power over you. Yeah, or, and, it, and it, you know, and that comes back to me because I could feel that I was being controlled by this, the laying down of the breadcrumbs, which is a bad review here. I mean, I've had people, fake names. I'm not kidding. They make up names, right? Um, they, know, they know the people that work for me and they, they adopt their names to make it look like people that are working for me are leaving these reviews. <laughs> yeah. This, this is how crazy it gets, right? Um, and there was a time where I was just like so de devastated. And I know at one time I linked it back to, because my mother was a big rager um, and non-logical when she was upset, highly emotional, probably a cluster B just never identified, right? And so being, having all this rage come at me over something that was, that could have been resolved with a conversation. Right. A simple, oh, I'm so sorry that so-and-so said this to you. And this was your experience. Let's all come together and talk about it to smooth this out. No, it was head on rage. You know, this experience, you know, triggered my abandonment or my attachment and someone's got to pay. I have to alleviate the tension that I feel and I can't look at myself and deal with the shame or the cause of this abandonment. So everybody's going to pay. Oh, absolutely. And well, I've had um, interesting situations too, as we all have, where I've had somebody say to me, hey, um, tell, you know, 20 other people, well, they just, she just won't communicate with me. Right. And I'm, and I'm going, are you kidding? I've left a thousand messages so that we could have an adult conversation about this. Right. Um, and, and yet, so they're, you know, they're also narrating the story around the ending of this relationship, which is triggered, uh, which happens when they become enraged because you stopped saying yes. yes. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating conundrum um, yeah. that happens with, with that. Yeah, I've had clients, you know, um, tell me that, that someone in their family sent them an email and when they went to respond to the email, they blocked them. Or <laughs> they sent them a nasty Facebook message and then unfriended them. You know, um, and so there's this block in communication, which then gets communicated to other people as, well, she just won't talk to me. Right. You know, so it's very interesting. And again, it all goes back to, you know, somebody who is unable to be self-observing has to come up with or create a dynamic or a, a story that fits their perception and fits their narrative. I'm the victim. And this person's per persecuting me. Meanwhile, they're the ones mm. who are persecuting you. 
So they have to come up with, it's like a script, right? They're trying to tell a story, but they're writing it as they go with the agenda of being seen as the victim and you being the villain. How have you learned? I know that, you know, there are certainly ways that you can do that to sort of mitigate any damage that might do to your business. I've actually never had anything like that um, damage my business. Although I spent, I have spent months or weeks or days worrying that it would unnecessarily, but there's a, a certain place that you get to with people like this where you know what they're going to do. Don't read their stuff. Know that they're going to play games. Know it's going to bother you a bit. And then you just don't look. Right. But you have to get to that place yes. where you just don't look. And sometimes I think when we're because of the, you know, the childhood or the experiences we've had, that play in, it feels very uncomfortable to be so removed from that kind of chaos because you couldn't be removed from it as a kid. Correct, correct, correct. And the more unpredictable your home, the more you are comfortable controlling things as an adult. And right. the subconscious belief is, I have to control this. Oh no, this is going to spin out of control. I have to control this. You know, if you have, right. you know, an unpredictable mom and she's getting upset, you're hypervigilant. Oh, let me go clean the dishes. Maybe mom will calm down. So right. you're living externally, always hypervigilant and trying to, you know, regulate other people's emotions and, and uh, minimize the damage that might ensue. You're walking around on eggshells. And so, yeah, when, when you are in this type of, it doesn't matter what profession you're in. Um, I always, what I, what I tell people is imagine if every single person, when they're born, they get a social security number and they get a Google review page that they have no access to. And imagine if we all lived the way people like you and I do that have a business, right? That's on, mm -hmm. that's on Google and is subject to the experiences and the perceptions of other people. Right. Imagine if everybody, when they're born, got a Google page, a Google review page where anybody in the world can go and review you. How likely would it be that people would continue to be vindictive or persecuting other people? Because it's not, it's not a fair playing field. When you, when you have a business, it's an easy target. You, you, right. you tick someone off because you know, in my situation, we had an issue with moderators, Facebook moderators had volunteered to moderate one of my Facebook pages. They had a falling out and somehow that was my problem, my fault, right? Um, which I will say that if I had been a better leader during those times, it would have, we wouldn't have had so much chaos. So it taught me a lot about leadership. You know, I thought I was doing the right thing by letting them handle it. No, no, no. Um, I had right. to um, So I learned the hard way. But my point is that it was something that could have been handled with the mature conversation. And um, the, way it, the way it ended up spiraling out of control was just complete reactive behavior. And right at, at the end of reactive behavior becomes justification. I have to rationalize right. why I said these things about Lisa. And you know, she's the most awful person in the world. We're gonna take her down, you know? And there was a time where, you know, it was right after my mother's death. It was a terrible death at the hands of my dad and renal failure that it's just a long story, but, but it was, it was at the, at the tail end of, of losing my mom. And then this happened. And so I was really at a bad state, but like I said earlier, 
it taught me something. Like I still had stuff that I needed to heal and I still hadn't, I had to learn how to even let go more to one of the lessons that I teach is we have to accept people's faulty perceptions of us. You know, right. I was pretty good one-to-one -one with my ex-husband, the in-laws, you know, but when it came to my business, that was some, that was in, that was uncharted territory for me. And even though I had video testimonies from the people that were writing the reviews, written testimonies from themselves and their children, thank you for giving me my mother back, you know, <laughs> I am not kidding. Yeah. Even though all the women invested in every resource and every product that I put out there, came to my live events, traveled across the world to, to go on a cruise, to be with me, even though all of this was there, when there was a fallout, they had the complete opposite perception of me. Right. And that was just, it took me a while to stand back and say, listen, Lisa, they're entitled to their perception of you. They're going to do what they're going to do. And the less you focus on it, the better you're going to be. I'm at a point now where I actually meditate and bring them into my consciousness and send them love. Because I realize that, you know, it's anger is sort of like a brick you carry around in your pocket. And you think that because you're angry at someone, you're hurting them. But anger, right. anger lowers your vibration. It makes you sick. It lends itself to living in a state of survival, which means that there's tremendous cortisol being produced, which leads to cellular destruction. And so anybody that has to spend their life going after you or going after someone else, you know, they, they're not as healthy as they could be physically. Um, and so right. certainly there could be a whole lot more joy in their life, you know? So I'm at a point where I actually, you know, ask for forgiveness. I'm so sorry if I participated in anything, um, or did not step in when I should have. And it caused, it was, it was part of this downward spiral. Um, I wish you the best from my heart and I pray, I pray for your peace and I pay, pray for whatever it is that you need. I ask for forgiveness and I ask them for forgiveness because What's really going on is like trauma. This is, this is reactivity. Right, exactly. And that can happen, you know, when you're working with people who are survivors of trauma or they're surviving trauma, they can flip around yeah. in their therapy and get angry at their therapist or their life coach or whoever it is that they're dealing with in the midst of what's going on. That can absolutely happen. Uh, so I, I have a lot of friends that do what you do and, you know, they, they bring that up and they end up, you know, having some serious scars of their own from, um, you know, from having to, to deal with that. So I think that the biggest lesson I learned was from uh, a couple of friends who are very, 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 very well known and there's nothing that they can do about the public's throttling of them in some ways, just because of a character they played in a play or a movie. Right. And I've listened to them talk about what it's like to be that kind of target. And there's absolutely nothing they can do. And then, and they somehow just have learned how to separate that from themselves and they don't go and look, they just don't go and look. They know the places online where this kind of information will be. And it's so not a part of their experience to ever go look at those things. My, my husband and uh, my husband says to me, you know, not that long ago, he says, you know, Lisa, if you look at your numbers, if you look at how many people you've helped, 
if you look at how many people that have in the past three years have come through your coaching program, think about the numbers, like over a thousand people. Think about the one, two, or three people out of all. Right. Listen, Lisa, think about it that way. It's still, I'm an empathic person. You know, I'm like, right. I want everybody to make it through to the other side. I don't want anybody controlled by reactivity or their emotions, especially anger, rage, and the need to persecute somebody. That's a terrible vibration to live in, you know? So, you know, I want everybody to get it through. But then again, it's like, I have to have a boundary. Like, I supply work and resources that have worked for me and seem to be working for other people. I hope it works for other people. I've got to keep me out of it, you know, what I want. Right. You know? Um, and that's been, you know, um, I think also as somebody who works in this type of a field, you got to be careful about, um, your boundaries working with other people. And right. I mean, like we're on week, we're entering week eight for the current class. And I've had some people say, thank you for saving my life. I always tell them I did no such thing. I provided a blueprint. You are doing the work. When you come up against some cognitive dissonance, when you feel like reacting to your mother who refuses to allow you to take the plants out of the front garden of your childhood home because she's just does, she just wants to hurt you, right? Before they sell it, you want to go there and take some hostas out of the front lawn. Um, and she's right. just for the sake of saying no to exercise power over you and you decide not to react, you just saved yourself. I didn't do that. Right. I didn't do right. that. But there, you know, I think that there's a tendency of people, I think it goes back to, and we can go on forever, you know, think about religion where there's this higher self out, like outside of you. My shtick is, Absolutely. my shtick is there's a higher self, it's within you. You have to learn to integrate with it and operate from this higher state of awareness and consciousness. But I think it goes back to, you know, you know, rock stars and, and football players and basketball players where we want to put someone in front of us, right? Um, and I'm all about, uh, 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 don't do that. It's yeah. All- it's that pedestal that you're talking about before. Exactly. Yes. Correct. I want people to get them to know that they have control over their lives. And like what you and I are discussing, there are going to be people that, you know, mock you. There are going to be, there are going to be unfair criticisms. Um, if, if you have a business, you piss someone off, you piss the soccer mom off, right? That, that you coach soccer. I've had this situation where you coach soccer, right? You have an online business or you have a professional retail business and you piss one of the moms off. You didn't let her, her child play the game as often as she thinks you should have. Oh, suddenly there's a review. <laughs> it's, yep. it, it speaks to that type of personality that could even go down that path to think that it's justified. I mean, we're talking about such unconsciousness and such reactivity, right? It happens. Or what about businesses that create that create um, false reviews against competitors? Happens all the time. Oh, I have I have very 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 good friends of mine who, uh, yeah, we spent a long time. Uh, they were sponsors of our network. Um, they spent you know a long time in a lawsuit with another with one of their competitors who have done illegal activities again and again and again to try and take this company down just because they're a competitor and this is a family-owned business these are nice people that run it and you know you know they try to look at well what's the meaning behind this what do we need to look at that's a uh, that we need to see in this 
because the attacks are not, you know, they're, they feel very personal, but they're really not. It's just about business. So it's, it's all fascinating. And I think, yeah, the best way to get through it is don't look, don't be reactive, as you said. Um, and, uh, and, you know, do what you can to examine your part in things and then let it go. Yeah. And I think there's narcissism, you know, there's business narcissism where there's this, you know, ex- this perception of, you know, listen, everything's fair in business. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I'm not so sure. Me either. In terms of karma and the energy by which you're operating your business, I'm not so sure that's going to work out for you in the end. Um, but, you know, you have family narcissism, family dysfunction. And, you know, so like we talked about earlier, this is everywhere. You're not going to escape it completely. You have to learn how to navigate it. And one, one, of, my, one of the things that I teach my clients is pay attention to what makes you afraid. Do not yes. things that cause you to recoil and cause you to constrict. That is where you need to work. Once you are okay with fake reviews, you have just, you've just risen. You've just gained some more awareness and you have just evolved psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, vibrationally, you've evolved, right? Absolutely. But I think you have, before you can fix something, you have to identify the problem. And what I like to do is I pay attention to what's causing me to constrict and make me panic. And that's where I work. And then I work with, well, what can I control versus what can I control? And I work at releasing what I have no control over because that is just a rabbit hole. Right. Mm. Well, I'm so glad that you are bringing this to our listeners. And I like the fact that we're adding a whole new category that's codependency focused. Not that other podcasters haven't um, touched on this topic. Obviously, we're a mental health network, but we don't have a show that really spends a lot of, you know, of amount of time on that particular topic. And you do. So I'm I'm grateful for that. But tell our listeners the name of the show and where they can find out more about you and your services. Sure. So it's Lisa A. Romano, Breakdowns to Breakthroughs. And you can find more out about my services at www.lisaaromano.com. I also have a YouTube channel with over 203,000 subscribers. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. And also I'm a meditation teacher on Insight Timer. So that's where you can find me. I'm also um, very active on Facebook as well. And I'd say, you know, uh, I thought of this when you were talking, the the more you put out there, the more, you know, subscribers you have, followers and so on, the law of averages are going to be, the more arrows are going to get slung at you. That's just kind of how it's true. My, my husband said, it, he goes, Lisa, this is economics. I was like, what? You know, my mind. Yeah. I'm, I say to him all the time, go, listen, I deal in the realm of feelings and emotions. Like, you know, what are you talking about? He's like, this is purely economics. The more people you touch, the more, the more possible it is for you to piss somebody off, you know? So I'm like, wow. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and you have to, you have to practice. I've learned too. you have to practice talking about all the good stuff. We're sort of trained in our society that, oh, that's bragging, especially if you're in the field of dealing with things like narcissistic abuse. You don't want to be perceived as narcissistic yourself. So you tend to not talk about all the great things that go on. And there's a way to do it that isn't being grandiose and isn't being narcissistic. But if you add up all the wonderful things that go on compared to the one or two crap things, 
the good stuff far outweighs it. It's just we're so used to only talking about the bad stuff in the society. So hopefully we can make a tide towards uh, that, you know, turning around and having it be okay to talk about all the good stuff without it being taken as, oh, you're being grandiose. Yeah, I think it also speaks to the way the, the mind works, right? So like when something bad happens, you know, there's an emotional stamp, right? So the mind is, right. the mind remembers that, you know, when you take a child, a child from a traumatic home, they want to fix that. They want to make that better. And so it really is up to us, people who are drawn to this area, this niche, to help other people. It really is up to us to pay attention to how our childhood experiences tune us up for being uncomfortable when other right. people have these opinions. Because my husband is completely unaffected. You know? <laughs> same, same with my ex-husband. He just doesn't, he doesn't care and he doesn't understand why I do right. uh, sometimes. And I, and I think, well, it's good to have that perspective from him. <laughs> I'm so glad there are people out there that go, yeah, I know she said that, but who cares? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going... I'm gonna go roller skating, you know, or I'm going to the gym. Right. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. It's kind of like what I what I we talked about offline, where I had said, "I'm I'm of the mind now. If a bear craps in the woods and I didn't see it crap in the woods, did it crap in the woods? That's how I have to be about some of this stuff that's out there because." Otherwise, it just it, it'll if you're supreme, if you're super, super, super empathic, it will eat you alive. And it's and you can be super, super, super empathic and not engage in that stuff and not have it rock your world. It, it, it is possible to have a steel girder around you sometimes as an empath. Um, those two things can happen, can, it can exist together. And then you can also have this wonderful openness about you. That's all, you know, the benefits of being an empath, but it just, it feels uncomfortable for us to say no and put up boundaries that, and it, you know, it takes practice to do that, but it, it is necessary, especially when you're out there in a public, public way. Yeah. And I think it speaks to, you know, I always ask my clients, what vibration do you want to live in? Because... <laughs> You know, if you if you choose to pay attention to this, right? But my mother-in-law started a smear campaign. Absolutely. I've been cut out of the will. Absolutely. You know, my sister believes mm -hmm. that didn't happen. Absolutely. All is valid. All is valid, right? But if we continue to try to control other people's perception of you, which you really can't, think about it. You can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. So I can continue. That's a lack of vibration. And I can continue... Um, trying to control something I can't, or I can work at accepting that other people have have their own perception of me, and that's okay, you know. Um, and I can work on focusing on something that's actually going to bring me joy and abundance in this moment, or I can focus on this negative thing. So, right, what, what vibration that really set me free when I realized that? Yes, we talked about this last time. You know, it's like you have to wear a psychological condom. You know. <laughs> Um, I love that. And lubricate yourself well so that when these insults come, you just slide to the left, just slide to the right. So they can't land. <laughs> That's going to end up being a, a three minute clip that we'll post out the psychological condom and the lubricant. Yes. <laughs> well, Lisa, again, I'm so glad that you're here. And thank you so much for um, sharing what you do with me and with our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And thank you for doing what you do as well. Oh, absolutely. Listeners, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.